0: Welcome to another episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. We're so grateful to have all of you who are leading at our church as deacons, all 40 of you, to think about you exercising the gifts that God has given you uh, for the advancement of the gospel, and in particular, the way that we uh, define it here at Compass that is our mission statement of you are fulfilling the mission of Uh, that Christ has given us in Matthew 28 to reach people for Christ, to teach people to be like Christ, and to train people to serve Christ. And so everything we do, everything you're doing, I pray, everything that we're doing, even to equip you for the work of ministry as Ephesians teaches us to do, everything that we're doing, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Life Group leaders and apprentices, as you're listening to this, uh, it's a reminder that we are covering this last week's sermon on Sunday entitled the countercultural kingdom, in this sermon called Kingdom Care. And we are going to read in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then... Who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. As I study the text of Scripture last week, I was able to distill the theme and the message of this sermon down to one sentence, and is it is this that genuine salvation empowers believers to imitate the unwavering generosity of God through their own commitment to gospel-powered generosity. As we look at this text, uh, when we look at verse 12, we recognize that verse 12 uh, is, even as I said in the sermon, this inclusio, which which encapsulates all of the Sermon on the Mount, but in particular, it, it applies to all the Sermon on the Mount's ethical section. It also draws us to a profound close of verses 7 through 12, when it Talks about the goodness of God, the open-handedness of God. Then it turns to fathers in the home of taking care of their children in an open-handed and kind and generous way. And then it turns to the the listener. So you, whatever you would have others do to you, now you do to others. This is the law and the prophet. This encapsulates the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that we are called to do unto others as they would do to us, that that is this, that we would love them, that we would be generous toward other people, that we would imitate this unwavering generosity of God because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit through salvation in Christ Jesus by the power of God the Father. And then we get to commit ourselves to gospel power generosity. We found this sermon focus expressed in three points. Number one, that we need to recall God's open-handedness, that Even as we, I tried to do so, uh, so uh, specifically in the sermon, uh, to talk about just how open-handed God is. That we're talking in generalities here, which is quite different. I say generalities. We're talking broadly, if you will, in verses seven and eight, and even in verse eleven here. Where if you ask, you'll be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And in verse 11, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The broad application of this uh, doesn't truncate the open-handedness of God to a singular or uh, even a, a small category of good of things, but but more broadly of, of opening up the reality of God's open-handedness and care in all of the spheres of, of life as He is our Father. He cares for all of the needs, and it, we talked a few weeks ago about the existential needs of God that we look at the birds, we look at the flowers. Uh, they don't work, uh, they don't toil, they don't spin, they don't store up. I shouldn't say they don't work, but at least they don't store up, they don't toil, they don't spin. They're not anxious about these things, but God provides for them. Uh, how much more will he provide for you? And thinking about just how kind and good God is to, to take care of our existential needs as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which we ought to carry over even to these verses, Life Group Leaders, in verses 7 through, through 12, there is this reality that God even cares for His wayward children, His wayward sheep. And God leaves the ninety-nine and goes after the one. This reality that God even goes after His wayward children, but there is also this reality that we have to own up to say: If I feel like I'm not receiving and being given, and, and finding, and, and the doors being open to me, I've got to ask myself: Am I seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Because that kingdom care of God to us is often found, is, is I would say, almost explicitly found in us walking according to the will of God. I think even uh, even if we look at verse 12 and we apply this down the road, it's like how much more likely are people going to find others who are living out this commandment to do unto others as you would have them do for you, inside the church. Or outside the church? Well, you're going to say, well, it could be both, but you're more likely to find people living out this commandment within the church. Because within the church, I'm not talking about in the walls, I'm talking about within the family of God, we find these exercised more. Because we have people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit in a, a more dense Capacity versus out in the world, where you may find uh, an individual through common grace who does something kind, or maybe a Christian walking down the road who cares because they recognize that verse 12 applies to them not only in the walls of the building but also outside. But even recognize there as we're comparing these things and putting in parallel to each other, there's this reality that the goodness of God, and the open-handedness of God, uh, is most clearly seen within us seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Uh, And within that, we still see this broad way in which God takes care of not only the existential needs, but all all the things that a father would do to care for his children. Not limitless yeses, even like we heard in the sermon, but limitless care. Uh, And that should uh, cause us to emulate him and imitate him, even as we saw in Ephesians, uh, as we see throughout the... uh, the epistles in the New Testament of Paul telling people, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're here to imitate the, the Father, and we do that through being open-handed. Now, if we're going to be open-handed, it means we've got to do this, and it's point number two. We've got to increase our love for others. And I want you to think, not, you don't have to think past the most quoted verse in the whole Bible to think about the reality of love preceding open-handedness, or love preceding generosity. There has to be a love and an increasing love for there to be any kind of generosity bestowed to others. And we see that in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave. Do we see that even that relationship there that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And, and that relationship of saying, I'm not just going to be generous if I don't love, like I've got to love before generosity becomes an expression of my life. My faith working through love is going to create a generous uh, response in my life. Faith working through love. We see those two words attached throughout the New Testament of faith and love. Because faith is always going to be expressed generally in love and then specifically through actions Uh, most of which are going to be characterized by generosity. So for us, we've got to make sure that we, if we're imitating God, we want to be generous, we have to increase in our love because it is the love that precedes the generous open-handedness, even of God, but even uh, specifically from this text, the Christian, the church. And then point number three, to extend God's generosity outward, and we're going to then go from Uh, I need to grow in my love, and now it needs to be expressed. I'm going to display this. I'm going to manifest the love that God has grown in me through generosity. My life is characterized by this peculiar kind of generosity because I have this divine love that has been grown and sown in my heart through salvation, and as I have this God of the universe who is kind and open-handed and has given me a heart of flesh, he has sown love and he has grown it in my life and it is then expressed through generosity. And so for us as a church, we see so much in scripture and we're going to always ask one another to apply it uh, to say we're going to be generous. We're going to extend generosity outward around and keep it to ourselves. We owe it to one another to be generous. Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love one another and that love is displayed and often like i said before love is displayed through making sure that we're caring for one another we owe that to one another as brothers and sisters in christ and then hebrews 13:16 tells us here to not neglect to do good to share what we have for such sacrifices are pleasing to god and so what's pleasing to god that we would sacrifice things of, of, of that are ours, that, that are only ours in name. They're God's, and he's stewarded to us, and so they may have our name etched in pencil, but we recognize that the imprint of those things is completely God's. It has his divine signature on them. All things that we have, we recognize that have been given by God for us to take uh, in the momentary time, this finite time that we have here on earth, to utilize all these things that God has given us for the advancement of his kingdom and for his will, and for his glory. And it those things, when we use our lives to share what we have, to display this open-handedness, generosity of God through the love that he is growing in our lives, he looks down and he's pleased. And so, life group leaders, as you're thinking about this and even mulling this over and digesting this sermon in your own life, I pray that as you're thinking and praying about how you're going to lead your life group, the encouragement and the counsel I'll give you is to say, I wanna take these application questions and I wanna move them from the generalities and I wanna transition them into the particulars. It's really easy in our application questions to stay general. When I stay general, I don't have to open my heart up to those in the group. If I stay general, I don't have to get intimate in the, the questions that we're asking. If I stay general, we can get through this with little, uh, with little struggle. But when I get into the particulars, that's when life on life tends to be happening. When I get into the specifics of life, uh, why do I lack? How am I growing? Where do I want to see God take my life uh, and grow me in this area? How am I going to take what God has taught me this week and specifically apply this in my kids' life, in my life, in my marriage How am I going to think through these questions and specifically attach practical things that I can now do as I've answered these questions, as I've taken God's word seriously and taken the principles from the text and made them applications for my context is really the goal of what we're doing in these life groups. They're a catalyst for community and they are a an opportunity for application specifically and so i want to encourage you take it from the generals and make it particular i mean i know these questions as we look at them it can be easy for us to say general you know i get that i get it all the time with well, these questions they can be really easy they can be real easy uh, and my goal isn't to make questions <laughs> difficult for you uh, but they're they're almost always easy when we keep them general uh, if we, we look at the bible uh, and you know, easy. And look at the Bible and say, okay, what's the problem? Well, the problem is we aren't perfect. So, uh, you know, we need to we, we need to fulfill even this sermon. Like, okay, we need to go do better at loving people. Well, that sounds that's oversimplified. And as a matter of fact, if if that's what we get out of it, we've missed the point. You see, getting into the particulars about what that means to go love others or do unto others as you would have them do to you. If if I take that and I take that out, and even though we're going to say that's the sum of the law and the prophets if the only thing that I preach is, go do unto others as you would have them do to you, that is a general statement that is true and encapsulates all of the scriptures. But if I leave people with that and I don't give them the particulars of the biblical gospel, we've missed the point. And in the same way, I think we can do that in these application questions by staying so general that we miss the particular way in which these questions are curated to dig into our lives and get us to particular applications. So I want to encourage you as life group leaders, as apprentices, Get past the surface level answer and get to the particular. Dig down a little bit. And maybe may for you it's answering the question generally and then answering it again in a more specific way, in a more particular way. And if you need some help with that, I'd always love to meet with you and talk to you through that. I'm always praying that we can, as a life group, leaders and apprentices uh, be uh, growing in our ability to facilitate these discussions in a way that creates maximum fruit in our life groups. All right, life group leaders, uh, I just want to give you an encouragement. Our, you know, our church is growing. Uh, you can see that empirically as you look around. Uh, and you know, there's always challenges that we run into as we grow. And one of those is how do we keep a big church small? We do that through life groups. Also, you got more people, you got more problems. We always say that. And uh, you know, a lot of problems are always going to pop up in community. And so there are a lot of ways we know that you, as life group leaders and apprentice leaders, can handle many of the problems that arise. But there's in two scenarios I just think about uh, when it comes to my prayer for you as we're keeping unity within God's church. Number one, uh, if it gets to a place where you don't believe that you can handle this, and you see these uh, kind of written out. I know the students have an actual section, student leaders have a section in their handbook of things that need to go directly to the pastors. I think you guys have them in your... Life group leader manuals. If you don't, I'll make sure I update that and get that to you guys this next go around as we sign our leadership standards. Nevertheless, uh, if there is a thing that you're dealing with that you're thinking, okay, I think this is outside of my expertise and ability, go ahead and bring that straight to the pastors. If you ever have a question about your ability to resolve a conflict or resolve a problem or meet a need, bring it straight to your pastors. That's your job as a as a deacon, and that's your your role. You are a deacon, your life group leader but the biblical office for that is a deacon. And being a deacon, uh, it's a privilege, right? There is a qualification in Scripture for deacons, and you have to be qualified and remain qualified to be a deacon, which is a wonderful thing. And that's your job and your stewardship. It's this privilege that you have to be a deacon. Uh, And so there's so much responsibility that you do have, but you're not doing this by yourself. So make sure that you know you have us. Take care of all the problems you can within your life group you and all of those around you, the one and others, but when there's something you need help with, make sure it gets to the pastors, and make sure it doesn't sit around for a long time. We do not want uh, seeds of uh, discord being sown in our church, and the longer a seed stays there, the more time it'll have to germinate and to grow roots. So we want to make sure those problems are taken care of, which brings me to that second problem. You as life group leaders have this immense stewardship to protect the unity of the bride. And so if you have any concerns, any thoughts, any things on your mind, you need to immediately bring those to your pastors. Immediately. It needs to be like this, this heart palpitation, sweaty hands. Of like, I got to get out. I gotta. We got to protect the bride of Christ. We got to maintain the bond of unity. Even as we see, you know, Paul, as he's talking about this in scripture, he's talking to, to local churches. Of course, we want to make sure the, the the universal church, the the, the, the Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic church, but Catholic as universal church, unified, and we're going to see that expressed in its fullness at the return of Christ, but as Paul's talking to the local church, we got to make sure that we do everything we can to make sure our church is unified, and as our church grows, that's going to progressively become more difficult, uh, but to make sure that we are discipling well in our life groups means that you Uh, and your pastors need to be on the same page. We we love you guys. Every one of you, if you're listening to this, I love you. You ought to know that, and I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. There's always going to be time where we're going to need to hash some things out and talk uh, together. So if if that is you, I just want to encourage you, make sure. There's 40 of us, and so there's always going to be a need for us to make sure that we're getting on the same page together. So I want to encourage you uh, with that, and do your best uh, with the gifts and skills that God has given you to exercise that in your life group. If you're noticing, hey, my life group's turning sour. The culture in this life group is turning sour. Uh, you're going to know that way before your pastors are. And although that we can see the, the the scope of all the life groups, which our life groups are very healthy, you know, as a whole. I just think, I look across these life groups and I see the way you're leading them and I'm thinking, wow, it's amazing to see so many people in life groups, so many people growing. Salvation has been uh, has been evident in many of your life groups. Uh, but it's easier for you to be in your life group and ask yourself, is this life group's attitude honoring the Lord? Is the unity that we have in here honoring to the Lord? Are we all rowing in the same direction? You're going to see that in your life group a lot, bef- a lot, a long time before us. And then by the time we hear about it, the odds are there's more going on. And so we want to make sure we take care of those things uh, we're going to talk more about that at our life group leader meeting on October the 22nd. So I want to encourage you guys to make sure you put that on the list. These are mandatory uh, life group leader meetings, although th- there is not a penalty for missing them. And so I want you to see the heart of that. It's like we're not here uh, to penalize anyone for not being a life group, but we still want you to recognize they are. Mandatory. They're necessary for for you as a life group leader to continue growing with us as as a body. And so, I want to encourage you guys to be there. On October twenty second, after the eleven a.m. service, uh, we have our lunch as always. We'll talk some encouragement. We'll do some training, and we're going to pray together. So, I want to encourage you to make sure you are at that October twenty second life group leader meeting. We have a baptism service coming up October the fifteenth. And so, if you have anybody in your life groups that need to be baptized, I want to encourage you to invite them to register online at Compass hillcountry.org slash baptism. Second Saturday of every month, we have our men's breakfast from 9 a.m. to 11. We want to encourage all men from 6th grade up to be a part of the men's breakfast and fellowship we have coming up. Our kids' Christmas choir rehearsals kicked off this last Sunday, and that... Christmas Choir is December the seventeenth. We had so many kids show up, so many kids registered for this. I'm not even sure registrations are open anymore. But maybe if you tell your life group they can sneak in there, maybe the registrations open for the last couple, of, n- next couple of days before they shut it off. So encourage them if they want to sign up, K through fifth. Have any kids that need to sign up for that? Maybe they can still get in there. Uh, but I know that it's pretty packed, and so we're excited for that. Look forward to what kind of service that's going to be as many people come to see uh, their uh, kiddos. Uh, lift up the name of Christ and as we share the gospel uh, clearly. Uh, Finally, we have our Exploring Compass, last session of Exploring Compass coming up November 12th and the 19th. That uh, registration pool is growing, which we always love to see. But if you have anybody in your groups or anybody you know needs to go through Exploring Compass, make sure that they sign up now so they make sure they have a spot for the next Exploring Compass on November the 12th and the 19th. All right, Life Group Leaders, I love you guys. So thankful for you. I'm praying that... uh, as you lead this week, uh, that there is much fruit born uh, from the consistency of your life group uh, and the work of the Spirit as he's working in the bond of community expressed in your life group. So I look forward to seeing you guys next week.